Welcome to the Warehouse Podcast. We are a non-profit organization based in Cape Town, South Africa, passionate about societal transformation through an engaged and justice-centered church. We believe that Jesus is never disengaged from pain, oppression, or injustice, and as such, neither should we be. Join us on a journey to explore what it means to emulate his ways of being within our context today. Hello and welcome everybody to the Warehouse Podcast. Um, We're really glad that you're listening and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Um, I'm really excited today. Um, I am having a conversation with Caroline Powell, whom you might know from a previous episode where we talked about um, the church, land and spatial justice, also with Ntando Mlambo. Um, so please feel free to go check out that episode as well. Um, I think there'll be some, some jumping off points um, here that kind of go back to that and vice versa. Um, so yes, go and check that out. But in that previous episode, I think we referenced that Caroline was doing her master's looking at church land and spatial justice. And Amazingly, she has finished her master's um, just recently, and so that is super exciting, and we're going to be chatting a little bit more about that process today and what some of her findings were. So Caroline, maybe you can just briefly introduce yourself again, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're up to. Yes, hi, it's it's wonderful to be back with you, Tandy. Um, we, We so enjoyed the last chat that we had um I, f- I find these podcast spaces so fantastic i'm a verbal processor um i know my my friend and colleague in research and tando also is and so the three of us had that that conversation together where we just you know more and more ideas just keep flowing um so i remember that time so fondly and um and i really enjoyed being able to just explore this this whole arena of of land justice church-owned land, spatial justice, and how it all fits together. Um, but that was quite a long time ago now. And so, yeah, um, just a little bit about me. I have been a member of the warehouse team for a very long time now, coming on for best part of, yeah, definitely over two decades. <laughs> um, and, you know, through my work at the warehouse, have absolutely loved journeying with churches in Cape Town and, and also nationally um, in, their, in their response to, to the the world around them, um, digging in theologically and and practically into what this means for them. And so that whole, the the whole sort of world of working with churches, um, earlier in my my time of starting at the warehouse, I realized that I I needed to to be engaging theologically um, and and really understand the, you know, the, the Bible from also a historical and a contextual and a academic perspective, also understand what it means to be church. And so I started studying theology now, gosh, about 12 years ago and, and plugged away at a Bachelor of Theology with Cornerstone and then transitioned into studying more contextual urban theology with the University of Pretoria, which eventually led into an honors and then a master's, as these things do. Um, and for me, it's always been that uh, I'm, a, I'm a practitioner. I, I, I'm a, 
see myself as, as an activist in the world. I want to be in, engaged in what's happening in the world around me, and especially with regards to, to land and urban land um, and what it means to live in Cape Town as a Christian. Um, and then I want to reflect on that. And so this, this journey of research for me has been about how do we continue to act justly and faithfully in the world and reflect on it in rigorous ways together and then allow our reflection to shape our action and then our action to shape our reflection and go continue in that way. And so while I will always be an activist, it seems like uh, it's turning into I will also always be an academic, but I'm so grateful to have found um, a community of people who, who love that in the same way, yourself included. Um, and that this is what brings meaning to our, our activism and our academia is that these two are equal. So, um, yeah, that's me. I mean, I, this is my second career. I started out um, in a very different career in, in health um, uh, back, back in 1994. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I've had a long, long journey as a South African. I'm 45 years old now. And so it's, it's wonderful to be at this stage of my life having done this work and this research and facing a new season in, in working it out in community with others in the world. So cool. Um, thanks, Caroline. I think, yeah, I mean, I so appreciate the journey that you've gone on because I think it continues to benefit all of us in so many ways. Um, I've done several Bible studies that Caroline has led, um, thinking about spatial justice and land. Um, and I think, Caroline, the way that you bring um, the academic stuff into the activist spaces, into churches, um, yeah, is really helpful and has been really helpful for me. So I'm very grateful for the journey that you've been on. Um, in, in light of all that, um, you've just completed your master's. Could you give us a little bit of an overview of what that research was, what your master's was all about? Yes. Um, well, I, I decided to study, obviously, uh, churches. So that's my main focus of, of my work is, is walking alongside churches. So I wanted to understand um, the experience of churches better. Um, I wanted to understand the experience of suburban churches better because that's I, I grew up in in a suburban area. In I grew up in apartheid, so it was a designated whites only suburban area. Um, as I've grown to understand the the what happened during apartheid and then the effects of the the Apartheid Spatial Planning and Group Areas Act. Mm. Um, I wanted to understand what that looks like now for suburban parts of Cape Town that were previously um, designated as whites-only areas, and, and especially those suburbs that, that have been on the slower end of desegregating. So suburbs um, that in the last census in 2011 were still 50% or more um, white demographics living in the areas. So I was very interested in that set of suburbs. Um, I that then came down to the southern suburbs, which is where I currently live. Um, I was interested in church denominations that that are historical land and property owners through through colonialism and and the missionary project over time. So those were denominations um, that. In, in a church land audit back in 1999, 
were found to be the, the highest number of property owners in the country. So um, there were Anglican churches, Methodist churches, and uh, Dutch Reformed churches. And then I was also interested in the Baptist churches who were the, who, who of whom were in, in relationship with several of those in the suburbs. So that was the, the area of my focus. Um, and then the question was, uh, what would it look like if these, if these churches pursued a spa spatial justice for their, their neighborhoods and with their neighborhoods and with the, the resources that they own? Um, but the, the, the process of the, the research was, it was based in what's called an emancipatory approach, which is this idea that the people that you research are invited into a, a form of liberation or emancipation through the project. So by, by taking part in it, their eyes can be opened to the possibilities of transformation within themselves and into the world around them. So I found that to be very exciting. Um, and then, um, yeah, so it was really asking how do churches in, that, in these suburbs either um, uh, pursue spatial justice for the city or or do they, um, are they involved in perpetuating spatial injustice in different ways? And are they aware of it? Um, yeah, is that enough for now? I mean, I can go into a little bit more detail. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. Um, I'm sure more will come out and feel free to, yeah, just jump in with whatever. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, such an interesting question and I'm sure such interesting findings. Um, but before we get into some of that, I think you've shared a little bit about some of your, some of why you decided to pursue this topic, but maybe a little bit more around that. So what was your journey um, yeah. deciding to go with this? Why was this um, an interesting space for you? Um, yeah, what was that yeah. process for you? Yeah, as, yeah, exactly. As I said, um, my theology journey transitioned um, into looking at urban theology and what it means. What what does theology and church what do you have to do with city making, and um, and transformative city making? Are we are we just visitors in the city, or do we believe that we are part of shaping more just cities and more flourishing cities? Um, so that was my theological journey. My my personal journey was that. Um, yeah, obviously, as I said, I was born in 1976. I was born in the height of apartheid, and I, I, I graduated from high school in 1994. And so um, coming to terms with South Africa's history as an adult has been a, a very important part of my journey as a, as a Jesus follower. Mm -hmm. um, and, then, and then on top of that, the, the, the social justice journey has been integral to all of that. So understanding... Um, what a holistic Christianity looks like, and, and then having layered onto this idea of social justice, the idea of spatial justice, that, that social justice works its way out in spaces and places, mm. and it affects the streets we live on, the buildings we live in, access to, to transport. It affects everything in the spaces around us. And then, and then as a Cape Townian, you can't travel through our city or live anywhere without, if you've got eyes to see, without realizing the, the, the massive disparities um, and the, the legacy of apartheid that remains and that is actually being continued and, and perpetuated through um, unjust city making, actually. Um, everything from 
people being pushed out further and further to the peripheries, to the processes of gentrification, the way suburban areas um, can, can access ways of, of, um, of, in inverted commas, protecting themselves from densification or influx. So, so even the, 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 the fundamental aspects of apartheid spatial planning, which was influx control and removal of people, can, is, we're still very vulnerable to that happening in our cities. And, and that, as a Christian, has absolutely, um, it's, it's, I find it overwhelmingly disturbing. I cannot live, continue to live um, in the city in this way. And so I just started asking the question, what am I supposed to do about this? Um, and so some of the things that I did was I myself just joined, um, it didn't, it's no official membership, but joined the activities of a local urban lands, land justice movement um, called Reclaim the City or, and with Ndifuna Kwasi. So I would, I would attend um, events that they had and learn a lot from them. And what they put on the on the agenda is um, their their tagline is land for people and not for profit, but also this idea of affordable housing access in the inner city and in the in the locate in, in the in the well located parts of our city, which speaks against the pushing out of people further and further to the peripheries of inhospitable spaces. And, and, and less and less access to, to city making and to being part of the, the economic thriving of the city. Um, and, and what I then started to realize is that there was a lot being spoken about around inner city um, and the sort of the CBD and the, those areas and where the gentrification is happening and that being absolutely critical conversations, but very little being spoken of around the suburban belts of the city. That still seemed to be very untouched in terms of our our interrogation and our questions and our, our questioning why why isn't there affordable housing in in these suburban areas which are so well located and especially the ones along main road in the southern suburbs um you know if you think about their the, the access to land in that space and the access to well well-organized densification projects in those areas. It just could be a wonderful way of bringing, um, bringing much better housing to much more people in our city. So I just was wanted, I really wanted to, to research with suburban churches because um, that was the intersection of my interest area. And then, and then lastly, I'm particularly interested in, in research that does um, ask questions of wealthy middle-class uh, communities. Because I think that when I read, read up about, when I try and read up about poverty and inequality and injustice, I'm often reading about um, the effect, or I'm, I'm often re reading things that have been where, where, where people who are bearing the brunt of inequality and who are living in poverty, they've been researched. And so we know a lot about what is what 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 the injustices in those neighborhoods, but they but we're not digging back and reading enough about the other side, those of us who who do have more than we need, more space than we need, more access to, to things than we need, more food, all of those things. I, I'm not able to find enough reading about what is is in the mindset of of the middle to upper classes of any society, but particularly of South Africa. For me as a white person. 
what what are what am I what am I thinking and feeling and believing as a white person about equality um, and a future for all of South Africa? Um, so that's that is really why I wanted to to base my research in this area. Amazing, Yo, I think I mean you raise some such important points. I think, like I, I found what you said about um, there not being a lot of research about the suburbs, and often the spotlight is put on the inner city, um, and then kind of how that's tied to what you said next of um, how it's often the poor or the marginalized or the vulnerable that are the subjects of research and often um, the middle class or the wealthy kind of are left out of that and invisible. And so in, in these discourses and these narratives, like the, um, it completely leaves the suburbs or the wealthy areas untouched. And, and I guess it's also about how we um, name and position the problem because when the problem is mm. poverty or um, hunger or whatever it mm. is, Mm. then we can we can kind of get away with certain things being um, invisibilized but when we name it as inequality and that um, some people are poor because other people are wealthy or people live in um, vulnerable areas or areas marginal to the city because of the way that things have been set up and because other people live um, in wealth in in places of access then then we really have to start to look I guess at the areas that you are spotlighting and the um, people that you're spotlighting so um, I'm super excited about what you've been doing and yeah this feels really important in so many ways so thank you and um, can I add one thing to that yes, is that I, I think that um, often then I, I personally can can um, critique without a deeper understanding of what of, of what people are are grappling with. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm I can I can criticize wealthy land earning churches, for example, but if I haven't understood what is going on for them and why they are or aren't taking the kinds of action that I think they should be taking. Um, then we're going to keep on missing each other, and yes. and and especially with churches across the city, you know, everybody wants to talk about church unity and about Christians being unified, but we we really have lost the the, the art of listening to one another. And yeah. so I do believe that research is also first and foremost a listening process yeah. of 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 giving people a chance to to explore what's going on for them. Um, but that's the commitment being it's emancipatory. So yes, let's hear what's going on for churches in these areas, in our, in my areas, um, and then do that in such a way that it's such a, a hopeful invitation to overcoming things that might be holding people back from steps that they, they could take towards a more just space. So good. And I love, yeah, I love that um, research as invitation into something more whole and something re redemptive. That's really beautiful. Um, on that note, coming out of your research, I would love to hear some of what makes you feel hopeful. Um, what are some of the things that have came, come out 
I guess, of this process that make you feel hopeful? Yeah, great. Um, well, first of all, just to explain that I um, was able to engage with uh, like 20 ministers um, from these areas. And so I had a couple of focus groups and then individual interviews. And so um, got to hear in quite a lot of detail the journeys that those churches in, in those suburbs are on. Um, so, so when I refer to the research, I'm referring to what I heard from those 20 ministers mm -hmm. um, and the, but then also just to acknowledge that because I, I work with so many other churches in so many different areas and then especially in in suburban and middle class areas a lot of my reflections also do come from from my experience with with them as well as being a churchgoer in a suburban mm -hmm. area myself mm -hmm. um, but what I'm finding hopeful in in general is also there's a, there's a few things one I think theologically speaking um, I heard a lot and I continue to hear a lot about um, churches really grappling with what it means to be, to, to love, you know, the, the love thy neighbor. Mm. Um, and I loved hearing the idea that the, the neighbor, at least in the eyes of the minister of the church, is not just the person living in the, in the homes around the church or the people who, who attend the congregation, but it was this idea that the neighborhood and the place where the church is located matters to the, to the church, mm -hmm. um, and that that our neighbours are, are, and that theologically, really grappling with with what does it mean to love our our neighbours who live on the streets around our church, or what does it mean to love neighbours who who don't come to our church but who who are experiencing loneliness during a time of, mm -hmm. for example. Um, yeah, just what well, those the, the interviews were before COVID, but just, you know, what is, are we living isolated suburban lives? Just this idea that we want to have, yeah, this desire that churches be more open and available to the neighborhood around them. So theologically, I found that a, a, a hopeful concept that, that, that churches were, were really grappling with that. Um, and then there were a few fantastic stories of churches that that were very aware of their their location in a um, very wealthy neighborhood and that um, especially um, how to mediate between um, for example um, homeless persons living in the neighborhood and um, and people living in homes in the neighborhood and fear and mistrust and not being able to hear or know one another and then um, sometimes this concept of not in my backyard so this what what in spatial justice circles is called nimbyism and um, the idea that we don't want we don't want our neighborhoods to change we want to stay or we want our homes to the values not to decrease but actually churches getting involved in being on their local ratepayers association or in their local neighborhood watch and being able to bring in a different narrative around that and also to in one or two cases actually to use their buildings differently and withstand the complaints of the neighbors and and say no we are going to continue to use our buildings to house the homeless or to to um run these programs um and and we will we will show you that this is good for the neighborhood not not in, not the negative thing that you think um, it's going to be. So I, I found that 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 shows a lot of potential of, of what churches in suburbs like that can actually do. Yeah. Um, so that was those were some really fantastically 
um, hopeful um, actions and thoughts and ideas. Um, yeah, yeah, to start with. Yeah, definitely cool to hear um, to hear some of that and what some churches are grappling with. Um, then also, I would love to know. Um, on the other hand, what are some of the ongoing challenges um, in this space that you've seen from your research um, that could have a negative impact on forward movement towards um, spatial justice and and what the church's role could be in this? Mm. Um, so I think to start with, if we remember that, um, you know, spatial justice or... or land justice in a city is spatial justice. So if we take that, the, the land justice conversation in South Africa is so huge and so overwhelming and so out there um, that the concepts of spatial justice bring it into the here and now, they bring it into our neighborhoods, into our own homes, into our own choices, and then into our churches. Um, so that's another, I would say, a hopeful thing that the, the concepts of spatial justice and working out urban land justice is a little bit more accessible than when we just look at the big, the big land question in South Africa. Um, but then on the other side, it still remains quite an overwhelming concept to a lot of a lot to to a lot of people, um, to to most people, and especially for people who who um, have either you know, either rent or buy, have bought a home and are living comfortably in a space and, and, and want to just, you know, get, get on with their lives and not, you know, and, and be safe. Yeah. <laughs> um, I find uh, one of the ministers actually spoke about um, a consumer mindset in, in middle class and, and, um, and, and suburban Christianity, this idea that we, we, want to, we want to have a place to worship, we, we want to have a, a faith community, but then at the same time, we don't want to have that much more asked of us because our lives are already busy mm. in sure. maintaining the, the lifestyles that we have. We have, yeah, yeah, busy, you know, we, we're comfortable and we're where we are. And anything that sort of threatens to disrupt that is, is, is a challenge. And so, in fact, I sometimes encountered stories from ministers who spoke about the theology of love our neighbor, but then wrestled with this idea that, I preach that on a Sunday, but I'm very aware that we don't live it during the week. Mm -hmm. and, and then I have to maintain a church. Maybe we don't have a very big budget. Perhaps there's a very small staff. And then everybody's telling us what we should or shouldn't do with our buildings. But actually, there's no one to run anything very creative or exciting. We're just managing to pay the minister and the secretary and fix the roof. And everything else is just on shutdown because because we, we don't have any other resources. And, and no, some churches speaking about elderly congregations, um, so they're, they're attended mostly by elderly people and they don't know what the next generation of their church is going to be. Others speaking about having younger people but who are busy with their careers and not getting involved in what it would take to, to run a, a creative um, response to, to a spatial injustice in their area. So, and then on top of that, we're engaging with the injustice of, of influx control and, and of, of people being moved out of areas because of, of market forces. When engaging with that, people just think, oh boy, this is too much. I don't know. 
how to overcome it. And a lot of the time I, th I hear people saying things like, but what could my church do? We wouldn't be able to do anything very impressive. Um, but we, we might be able to do, you know, house a few people, but what's that going to do in the greater scheme of things? And so I see that the lack of churches imagining things together across quite big areas means that people don't get an imagination for what would it actually look like if the 700 or so churches across that, what this, this peninsula, and it's more, I'm just thumb-sucking that number, each created a space for, for five people coming out of homelessness. Like, could there be a prophetic um, turn in the city if churches decided to, to band together and do things together or, or realize that their drop in the ocean, if everybody's doing something, um, actually isn't such a small drop. It could be a, a, a very significant um, and prophetic act to the city to say we as, as people of faith believe that our city should belong to everyone. Um, so I would say, yeah, people feeling overwhelmed, people feeling like they're small but can't make a difference, and, and churches actually just not, not feeling like they have the resources um, to do actually anything creative or, or outside of, of just maintaining and surviving. Yeah, sure. And then others who have a lot um, just focusing on different things, um, focusing on... Um, on you know there there are some churches that that have you know um, are involved with ministries in far flung parts of the city and don't believe that impacting their local neighborhood is um, particularly part of their calling because they're involved somewhere else mm. um, and so yeah there's just there's just not and yeah <laughs> and yeah. every there's as many stories of what's what's hopeful and what's challenging as there yeah. are churches yeah. Sure, completely. Um, okay, so you talked a little bit about imagination and churches having prophetic imagination for what could be possible. So how has your imagination um, been shaped and challenged and stretched as you've gone on this journey? Um, I'm sure that's happened in many different ways. Yeah, I think probably what I would do is is both this research journey and then the journey of 2020, mm. um, which, you know, I, I finished interviewing ministers just before lockdown. Okay. Um, and then, of course, lockdown happened and churches were, were locked down. Yeah. And then there was the question, could churches be, be church spaces be used differently um, if people weren't congregating in them? So I suppose it's both those journeys that, that I'm, that I'm reflecting on. Um, so I think I touched on it before. I, I have a, a, a wild dream and imagination for, for what I described earlier, um, that every single church would have some commitment to, to housing justice <laughs> um, and, and just imagine <laughs> what could happen if if every single church congregation were able to look at what they have, what they're struggling with, identify what they are, um, what is, is, is blocking them from maybe using their space better. And I can get to that at, towards the end of this, this podcast with some ideas for that. Um, but this idea of that, that actually 
the housing and land for living is is the, one of the it's absolutely it's the biggest crisis we have <laughs> because because we we speak about all these other things um that that as we spoke about at the beginning of the podcast that when we when we look at what what it means to live in poverty everybody thinks food justice and food justice is the number one thing that's on the top of everybody's minds during during um the last year but we're in fact a stable and safe place to live close to access to to work um is is an answer to food insecurity <laughs> um where people aren't living in precarious accommodation where they may actually where where eviction is always a possibility where 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 people are living with ongoing illness because of of living in unsafe conditions um actually you know um it's it's globally it's a number one um issue is is yeah. is access to a safe and and dignified place to live my dream is that churches would all realize that that they can do something towards that mm. and that um that they have so churches that have have properties in that is what i'm talking about um that there would be an unlocking of of a theology and an imagination for that so that's my imagination that it wouldn't just be one church here and one church there but that actually courage would grow across the whole set of of churches in our city um to that, that over the next 10 years we could say that there is a difference being made in the housing situation of Cape Town because church has got a collective vision for it. So that's where my big imagination is. Um, And there's a a lot of work to do towards making that um, imagination possible. Um, But then, but then also I imagine, gosh, I imagine churches that, and, and, and Christians that are not afraid (laughs) Um, and so, so a very popular scripture that that is is quoted in in housing in Christian housing justice circles is Micah four verse four, where it says, "Every person will sit under their own fig tree and their own vine, and they will not be afraid." Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that goes, and and for me, that's always been about a person having a, a dignified home to live in. But I think it goes in both directions. I think to live, to live moving away from this increasing fear that we live in so for everyone those who live in houses and those who are who for alongside whom we are seeking housing justice that everybody would start to live in a dignified and unafraid way and so i imagine suburbs where people are no longer at war with one another where where it is not violent a violent place for a person to just walk in if they are not from that suburb and they are deemed to be a stranger or a threat and then the police get called get, gets called on them. I just long for suburbs where where there are, where there are open gardens, open walls. Um, yeah, the walls are able to come down because we've realised that working towards um, justice and liberation for all actually makes us safer, mm-hmm. rather than than um, threatens our secu- our safety and security and and our futures. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my my imagination is very much around that actually cities not living in fear mm. and suburbs suburbs being open and and free and 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 places of um of welcome and warmth and 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 not and not fear mm. yeah um um yeah oh yes sorry 
Well, um, I, they, we we spoke a little bit before this about um, one of the phrases that was used in in one of the by one of the ministers in my study, um, and there was this minister who was speaking about um, feeling like perhaps the the time of gathering churches, and this was even before COVID, um, but the time of gathering in big groups in the suburban in, in his area where he was ministering, maybe that was coming to an end, and that in fact. Um, models more like the early church people meeting in each other's homes, things like that. So he he was um, he and his church were very interested in in um, models like that. I know that in the U.S. there's a big move towards moving away from well mega churches into into um, house churches, that type of thing. So this particular minister was exploring that idea, and in the exploring of it, he he spoke. He said he wonders if there is a future for the church on the corner. He said, is there, is there a future for the church on the corner? And I suppose when we think future, we think 20, 30, 40, 50 years time. Is there a future for, for this, these churches that were built, some of them during the, the early, early days of the establishment of the colonial Cape Town, others much more recently, but you know, there is actually a church on many a corner in many a suburban area, and in fact, across our whole country, really, we're a very church nation, and so there's a church on almost every corner. Um, and I thought that was interesting because his church was actually very active in thinking about how their church buildings should be used. So they, as a church, had not given up on, on the, the physicality of their church in the space at all. But it, it led me to thinking, well, there are many possible futures for the church on the corner. And one of the possibilities is like we see in, in, um, in European and, and other countries um, where, where people don't attend, many people don't attend church anymore and church buildings, church, the churches on the corner are actually sold off and become museums or uh, high-end housing or, or, you know, that it wasn't an imagination, a theological imagination for how the spaces could be used. And so they, they become part of the city but but not they're not a they're no longer a church and they're or they're no longer a um, even um, pursuing the ideals perhaps or the theologies of of the original church. Um, there's but but I think there's a future. The fact of the matter is is that whether we believe in the future of the church on the corner or not, the buildings aren't going away. Many of them are heritage buildings to start with. Yeah. Um, yes, land can be sold off and other houses that are owned can be sold off, but actually. If we had a theological imagination mm. for for the churches on the corner of our suburbs, for places that are sacred and open and and able to hold a space of 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 sanctuary in the city, but are also alive because they host people, they host after school clubs, they host, um, you know, they spaces that offer public open space to people when they need it. They they built their their grounds are open. They are their urban food gardening gardens happening in the spaces. Um, they yeah, there's just a, a, a multitude of things actually happening in the space as well as a service on a Sunday or a Wednesday or a prayer service that actually life comes back to the space because this idea of it being a just and inclusive and, and welcoming space that be, exists for more than the people who attend the services. Yeah. Um, 
so much more can happen. And then there are many, many features for the church on the corner. Yeah, sure. I love that. So cool. Um, so I wanted to slip in another question. Um, so at the beginning, you talked a little bit about praxis and kind of how our reflection um, should lead to action and the action should shape reflection and that kind of cycle. Um, and then you've also, you've mentioned different things. Um, so like the, the our theology that kind of influences um, our imagination and the action we decide to take. And then also this idea of um, that you mentioned that one of the ministers talked about the consumer mindset in churches um, and kind of a, I guess, a restricted imagination for what church is anyway, that it's just kind of this place to come for a service on Sunday, but actually our lives are very busy. Um, so I guess just thinking about all of these different things um, that kind of influence or restrict our imagination of what's possible. So whether that's our theology, what we believe about God, about the church, um, or whether that's, I guess, ideals and values that society holds to um, about kind of consumerism and that sort of mentality that I guess restrict our imagination of what could be possible in the church. And I'm interested in, in the idea, I guess, of praxis within this. So, um, so our thinking shapes our action, but then also our action shapes our thinking and maybe our imagination. So mm. I wanted to ask, um, have you seen that at all, where like churches have acted and almost the imagination has followed or, or the kind of theology has followed um, and there's that, there's been that kind of cycle because sometimes it feels like there almost needs to be, um, action that kind of breaks, breaks the current, um, mindsets and socialization and theological beliefs and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? I mean, it does. I, and I, I mean, a hundred percent agree with you. I don't think that we should be stuck in imagining introspection theologizing for too long um i think that we need to take bold steps and courageous steps so so one one church i i do know of um and uh, no not one actually several churches in in the southern suburbs area um a few winters ago there was just a terrible storm coming through and just decided to open up their spaces and it wasn't well planned. We all, all of us who were in, involved in it said, wow, this wasn't well planned at all. We, we, we threw it together in a, in, a, in a day and opened our doors and, and, um, and yet learned so much during that time. Um, there was, there was really a sense of, of, of neighborhood and um, churches were were sharing with each other um, there were people who were from homeless communities in the street who were cross-referring who were saying we need some of those people to go to that church at least to come to this one so there was yeah a lot a lot that was done um, and what I loved about that time was just this idea of we need to do something um, and we and we need to we need to act now and um, the same thing happened during COVID last year, a few churches just saying, 
we can't stay locked down. Um, there are NGOs that that are, are ready and ready to run and, and willing to run spaces of safety for homeless persons during this lockdown. Um, do we need to just let them let them use our space? Um, so so I think that's fantastic and, and a lot is learned during those times. I think where we do then struggle is we 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 bring it to an end because it wasn't it wasn't on our yearly plan. <laughs> so we say, yeah, okay, we're going to we're going to respond in this way. This is the right thing to do right now. But then we bring it to an end because we don't know how to sustain it. Mm. We close it down. Often an, an NGO takes it and, and, and runs with it and then struggles to find space to run with it um, instead of the church saying continue to use our space because now there's the sense of okay what are we going to do next and then I think I've seen a lot of, of church communities retreat into okay now we need to plan better and we need to go back into reflecting but then somehow um, maybe stories of where other churches did that and where things went wrong um, and where things uh, fell apart a bit or um, your hands get burnt a bit because you, you offered a space to people and then it, you struggled to, to find them a place to stay afterwards. And so then, then people are worried about having to, to, if, to, to get involved as, as a landlord. There, there's a lot of things that people say we haven't thought this through and we need to think it through. And obviously um, for housing and for justice and for spatial justice to be dignified, it needs to be to be well run and and needs to honor the people living in the space yeah. first and foremost so people so so i think it's both i think we need to we do need to jump in and try something with courage mm -hmm. um and then and then we now then we must reflect on it but then we must allow that reflection and then the fear that comes in to then stop us from doing anything going forward and i think the big problem that comes in is that we then don't build strong collaborations with yeah. with others so we try and do it on our own so i see i think too many churches trying to do courageous things alone mm -hmm. and then and then they have that thing of what you said the, 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 where there aren't enough people to sustain or run something um the minister is not there to be a project manager of of something that grows and grows and grows um and and, and then they don't have a champion and then it falls flat and then in the end people vulnerable people get hurt or, or yeah. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but no. I certainly do believe people do, we do need to act, but then but as we're acting, perhaps really thinking about um, the best collaborations and who to act yeah. with. So good. And sometimes we think that's going to slow things down, but actually it does make things more sustainable in the long run. Yeah. Um, so, so the best, the best examples of where I've seen, um, beautiful spatial justice um, actually happening is when it's in a collaboration with with a church and a and an NPO and a housing company and people who are willing to you know to um, give their services pro bono you know um, but then again that does need a, a champion and a project manager yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so part of the dream going forward is that we would have a team of people who are willing who are able to 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 steward churches through these processes as they as they make these these um, courageous decisions with businesses. Cool, so good. Um, okay, so just to finish off, I think, I mean, I think even even in what you've said, it sounds like 
churches and people in churches are interested and are grappling with this question of um, how, what does justice look like? What does spatial justice look like? Um, and of course, your research being particularly um, focused on churches in suburbs and wealthier churches who, who have land, um, have space. So for people, for people like this who are grappling with this, or um, maybe this, this conversation is um, causing them to think a little bit deeper or want to know a little bit more, what are some possible next steps um, that those people could take in kind of in taking this issue forward in their spaces? Yeah, so I mean, I always think a theological underpinning is so is so important. And so there's really, really beautiful um, resources that you can engage with. I would say to dig into a theology of land. Mm. Um, because the Bible is a story of, of people and place and space. So what is the, what are the Bible's theologies of land um, throughout the text? And then to say, what does, what does political geography look like in the Bible? So to really start to, to engage with, with biblical texts, um, looking at maps of, of the, the context of the time, as well as um, our own uh, have maps of our own areas and so I think the churches um, can be mapping their own physical areas um, you know really knowing their neighborhoods and yeah. the various different role players in their neighborhoods so you can do that from any time to start getting maps up on the wall of your church and and doing a just neighborhood walks and knowing your church areas, getting your youth groups involved getting your various different groups involved um, and then and then at the same time digging in theologically around I and mean, you know, if, if if Jesus's people were doing that, how what would they be seeing around them? And start to see these lovely um, parallels between what we what's happening in the geography of the text as well as in our own. So there's there's we can also at the warehouse we can offer um, lovely contextual Bible study resources around that, and we we'll put the links to that um, in various spaces and newsletters. So there's there's that, but then. Often what is required is, is so I think at the, first, that, that theological commitment of saying we really want to understand what this means for us as a, as a church, what this means for us as a people. Um, and then as you're doing that, to, to, to be very practical about it. So I've mentioned, you know, your neighborhood and, and, and mapping your neighborhood and knowing the various different role players in your, your neighborhood, but then also to do a, a, a mapping or an auditing of your own church space. Mm -hmm. um, and, and to really, we, I've got a little tool that we're developing, but that's always being improved on, but we'll also put the link here. Um, but to actually do an audit of your own space time usage. Um, a lot of churches speak about the dream of a 24-7 church, but 24-7 but means overnight usage mm. so so i don't think that, so unless you have people living in many parts of the church building you're not a 24 7 church but that's okay you could be you could be a um a, a, a full you know you, you'd say we want to be a full-time church we want to know how our buildings are used and then so but then that means saying okay these are the areas that are used here and then and for what and what happens for many churches is when they do that, they realize, my goodness, 
quite a lot more of our property is standing empty for quite a lot more of the time than we actually thought. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, using our tool to, to address that and to actually see, and then what, what I've seen some churches do is consolidate. So say we need to move activities all into one space so that we totally free up another space. And then we, we can really discern what that other space can be and should be used for. Not to sell off, but to actually use towards spatial justice in your area. Um, so, and then, and, but to do these things, to dig into these things theologically and practically, you often need to, to do internal work around um, discussions that are happening in your leadership team and your staff, if you have a staff team, or in your congregation. And that often takes some deep process work. And, and so the Warehouse does offer that. And that is something I would love to be invited into. If there's any church that wants to start having these conversations about how to, to do a bit of this analysis, do this kind of prophetic imagination for a different way, and then take tangible steps, um, the Warehouse, we offer, we offer to take a church through that process. Um, or at least to share tools with the, with the church as to how they could go on that process themselves. Yeah, amazing. Um, how should people get into contact with you if they would like to do something like that? They're welcome to, to email me at caroline at warehouse.org.za. Great. Amazing. Yeah. And yeah, as Caroline said, we offer contextual Bible studies, um, pilgrimages also, to grapple with some of these issues and others. Um, so please do reach out if you are grappling with this um, as a church community. We would love to serve you in your journey with this. Um, but yeah, Caroline, would you like to share any last thoughts? I think we're at the end of our conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think just one, one thing to say is that can sometimes be very confused when when we feel like we've got the theology for all of this I, i've met churches who say we, we, we theologically we know what we should be doing um but we struggle to do it um or with there are some churches who might say well no we get we get we get this whole social justice thing um but because they haven't grappled with space and place quite as tangibly they're not really marrying that with their local spaces or neighborhoods or their own rooms and buildings that they own or grass and land that they you know parking lot <laughs> um and so but it doesn't it isn't a one plus one equals two it's not like you have the theology mm. and the ideas and then it just happens um i do think that there are barriers to this and i've started to uncover many of the barriers in talking to churches but i think each church needs help to identify their own their own barriers, yeah. what, what would be holding them back, what is making this unfeasible, and then what could unlock that. So I think that would be my, my encouragement, um, is that there, are, there is a future for the, for the church on the corner. Your church doesn't have to, to, to die if, if numbers are decreasing, or you don't have to sell things off. There are many possible possibilities for how this could become a thriving and just space, but it's going to take the work of, of, of identifying what's holding you back and then moving forward and, um, and reaching out. Um, but I absolutely believe it can be done. And I believe that we can have a different city because of it. Mm. So, so yeah. good. Thank you, Caroline. 
um, yeah, really looking forward to how this gets taken forward. Um, and yeah, thank you for all the work that you've put into this and all the oh, thank you. love and sweat and tears. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, I think, a lot of amazing stuff is going to come out of it. Um, to everyone who has been listening, thank you so much for um, listening and being with us on this journey. Um, please do get in contact if you have any comments or questions or um, ideas or just to share maybe the journey that you and your church have been going on with this. We would love to hear that. Um, otherwise, um, please follow us on social media um, to find out about what we're doing and see our updates. Um, and otherwise, we will see you next time. Thanks, Caroline, for the conversation. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Warehouse Podcast. We highly value your comments, questions, and suggestions. Connect with us on Facebook at The Warehouse Trust, on Twitter with the username Warehouse Trust, and on Instagram at WeAreTheWarehouse. And check out our website at www.warehouse.org.za. Please join us again as we continue to explore questions of Jesus, faith, and justice in our society today.